Hello, hello, hello. My name is Jennifer Joseph. I am a pastor. I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I'm an author. I'm a COO and I am a businesswoman and you are officially tuned into the Her Redemption podcast. And the purpose of this podcast is to help you live a life in total and full redemption through Christ Jesus. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. We have reached the end of January 2019. It's February, y'all, and before you know it, we will have ended the first quarter of 2020. I hope that you are intentional about your days, about your weeks, that you are focusing on your visions and on your goals and um being disciplined to ensure that you allow for your visions to come into fruition. So I encourage you to not give up. If you need to reset, reset. If you need to say that your new year is starting February 1st, do that. But don't get discouraged. It's too early. It's too soon in 2020 to get discouraged. Listen, if you woke up this morning and there is breath in your lungs, that is evidence that God is not through with you yet. So you can start all over. You have my permission and God's permission to start all over. All right. So get it together, girl. Get it together, boy. And do what you have to do in this year. So today, I'm so excited um, because I had the pleasure of leading a workshop on communicating to motivate and persuade. And so today, I'm going to be um, sharing those gems with you over this podcast. And I hope that you will find it beneficial. These really are tips um, and gems that you will be able to apply not only in your career, but wow. in your business, in your family, in your relationships, etc. So today we're talking about communicating to motivate and persuade. And first of all, I want to define some terms for you. Motivation is the reason or reasons one has for acting or behaving in a particular way. Persuasion is the action or fact of persuading someone or of being persuaded to do or believe something. And communication is the imparting or exchanging of information or news. Okay, so the first thing I want to do is talk about five persuasion situations, okay? When we are trying to persuade, be it our employer to give us a raise or a recruiter to hire us for the job or a donor to invest in our business or in our nonprofit organization or even a buyer to purchase our products, okay? There are different levels or different aspects of persuasion. The first aspect is to reveal. Oftentimes when we are trying to persuade someone, it is to get them to tell us something, okay? The second aspect is to do. Oftentimes we are trying to persuade to get people to do something for us, okay? Or to act. 
And then the third is to get them to stop doing something. And this aspect is to desist, okay? Desist. And then the fourth is to learn. We sometimes persuade people to help them understand something better or to understand our point of view or perspective. And then finally, believe. Um, we often try to persuade people to change what they believe about something. So we have to reveal, to do, to desist, to learn, and to believe. There are five persuasive communication lessons for today's professional environment that you can also apply, again, as I said, in your business, in your relationships, in your uh, family, etc. I feel that these tips will um, be applicable really in any realm or uh, sphere within your life. <clears throat> so the first is... It's very important when you are trying to motivate or persuade that you build a clear and compelling argument. First of all, I want to say that I believe that the two go hand in hand. I believe that if you are going to be an effective persuader, you have to know how to motivate. That the act of motivating makes persuasion easy. Okay, so again, I'm going to be talking about the five persuasive communication lessons that you can apply. Uh, the first is to build a clear and compelling argument. We know the saying, confused buyers don't buy, right? And so oftentimes we fail at persuading people because our arguments aren't clear or concise, and so when you have a, be it a product or a service or a pitch that is just too confusing, people automatically shut down and they stop listening. So it's very important that whatever it is that you're trying to persuade or that you're trying to influence, that it's clear, it's compelling, all right, and it is concise. That's number one. Number two you need to make an emotional connection. This is so key because let me tell you, uh, hype and trends get interest, but personal and emotional connections maintain consistency and longevity. It's easy to get people um, on a bandwagon, but in order to keep them on the bandwagon, there has to be some sort of emotional or personal investment. I'll give you a prime example. The organization that I work for, check this out, has been around for 137 years. I didn't say 137 days. 137 years. Now, why do you think that is? Well, the organization's origins um, have to do with a group of Jewish people who were passionate about assisting other Jews to settle in the U.S. 
and this became particularly imperative during the Holocaust. And so many of our current donors are people whose mothers, aunts, great-grandmothers, fathers, family members, etc., were helped by my organization to come into the U.S. And so now their children and their children's children who are rich, who are lawyers, who are doctors, our organization is their way of paying it forward. It's their way of continuing their family's legacy and of saying thank you to our organization for helping their family because they realize if we didn't help their family, they wouldn't be here and have the opportunities that we have. And so you see, it's it becomes more than just them donating to an organization. It becomes them donating to an organization that has um, contributed to their very existence. So there's a different element there. And that's the type of emotional connection that you need to try to make with people when you want to get buy-in. When you want them to believe in your mission and what it is that you do, how can you connect their mission to your mission, excuse me, to their life? Why should they care about this? All right. So that's very important. So number one was build a clear and compelling argument. Number two, make an emotional connection. Number three, you got to be believable. Okay. Not only do confused buyers not buy, people don't buy into things when they feel like you don't even believe what you're saying. All right. So people can smell the funk from a mile away. If you're not genuine, if you don't know your stuff, if you're not um, knowledgeable about the information that you are sharing, those are clear signs that you don't actually care about what you're talking about. So be believable. Um, Excuse me for all the sniffles. I'm um, recovering from a cold, so bear with me. Number four, collaborate and listen. Collaborate and listen. Oftentimes, we have trouble um, persuading people because we make everything all about us, right? If we listen, we'll be able to assess and observe what it is that people care about. And when you're able to highlight the things that are important to them, then you grasp their attention, right? Because if you're talking about a whole bunch of things that I really don't care about, nine times out of ten, I'm going to be distracted or I'm not going to listen. But if you can catch my attention by speaking about something that I'm actually interested in, then I will want to um, work with you. And so the uh, collaborative piece is so important because... There's a quote that I love. It says, a person has mastered the art of persuasion when they can convince the people that they are trying to persuade that the idea was theirs. Okay? So that collaboration piece is so so important because when people feel like they're involved in the process, that, you know, they had a say in what it is that, you're trying to get them to do, 
they then feel like they have some sort of power and that they're not doing this because simply because you want them to do it, right? They're doing it because they put some thought to it and they contributed to it, even though it was your plan all along for them to just do what you, you kind of, to have that desired outcome. The fact that you've mastered the art of making them feel involved in the process is genius, okay? So listen, listen to what people's needs and their desires are and collaborate with them in such a way that they feel included. And finally, persuade even before you present. And I think this is the most important part. I'll give you a perfect example. And again, I always love to use examples about me because be the expert of your own experience, right? That's Shamira Burley. Um, I am currently responsible for, I have been entrusted the responsibility of relocating our staff into a new space and um, managing the construction, the build out, just everything um, of this uh, process. And so we had to do seating arrangements, seating charts. And who would have thought that seating arrangements would be this complicated, but for whatever reason, it became this huge thing because you'd be surprised the number of people who care about whether or not they have an office with a window, whether or not their office is near a bathroom or near a water fountain, who their office is next to. I mean, so many nuances, so many things that you didn't even realize that people actually cared about made what I thought was going to be so simple so complicated right and so um my biggest challenge was that the executive director wanted to put people at random like a lottery and sit them anywhere because you know there has been some clickishness um going on in the agency which has just been happening organically as a result of growing so rapidly and, um, you know, she very much so wants to create an environment where everyone is very collaborative and, um, you know, assists one another and things of that nature. And so she feels that by separating everyone and sort of integrating people that, you know, she'll be able to sort of accomplish this goal of hers. Now, I think that that's insane because one you know, this is not high school or middle school. We can't separate people like their children. You know, our seating chart has to make sense. People have direct people that they report to that should be near them or in proximity so that they're not walking like a mile to just talk to their supervisor. Um, and, you know, t being in teams can actually be a positive thing. But I did understand her concern. Then on the flip side, another personnel management wanted complete segregation. Like they wanted legal people to stay with legal, social people to stay with social, admin people to stay with admin. And I thought that that was also extreme. So here I was in the middle of two very extreme ideas for how this seating arrangements should go. Now, I had my work cut out for me, right? Because... I'm dealing with these two extremes and then I'm dealing with the, you know, the uh, very diverse and specific needs and concerns of the staff 
and the types of offices that they want to be in, right? And then, you know, there's seniority. There are so many different things that go into play. And so what I did was I ordered the floor plan, a really large floor plan from like FedEx. I had them print one for me. I got it laminated so that I can like write on it and erase it as I please with some dry erase markers. I taped that bad boy on my office wall and I spent the entire day by myself putting thought to how this seating arrangement should go. And what I managed to do was I married both of their desires in a way that it made sense and that we sort of reach a mutual compromise that didn't, you know, that worked for everyone. So I still kept teams together, but I didn't put people at, you know, I didn't segregate them completely. So it was kind of like integration, but among teams. So now, you know, it's like, all right, I did this great thing. I spent so much time on this. It would be foolish for me to just walk in to our next meeting, having having done all this work and not try to get some buy in before the meeting. So what I decided to do was before our meeting to discuss the seating arrangement. I had literally every single manager meet with me one by one and go over the seating arrangement. And I allowed them to make like one or two tweaks that didn't like put a wrench in what I had done. Obviously, again, to make them feel like they were a part part of the process. And my goal was to get buy-in. I wanted to persuade them before I even presented Will you know that as a result of doing that, when we got to presentation day, we spent five minutes on the seating arrangement because everyone agreed with what I had done. And even though it was what I had done, because I had met with them each individually, they felt like it was what we had done. So, you know, it's very important to try to get buy-in, try to get people on your team, even though you won't be able to convince everybody that's fine because in the end, majority rules. If you could get enough people to agree with you, it will make persuasion and presenting that more easier. All right, so I want to go over all of the five points with you. Number one, build a clear and compelling argument. Make an emotional connection. Be believable collaborate and listen, and then finally persuade even before you present. I want to share this quote with you. It says, if you would persuade, you must appeal to interests rather than intellect. Talk about what people care about. Nobody wants to hear about your degrees, your accolades, um, how much time you spent working on something, Let them know why they should care, and then you'll get their attention, okay? Another quote, to influence, you must first assess what the why is or what the need is. You should master the why and or meet the need. Okay, so I'm going to share a little, um, I guess, skit with you. Um, We have an employer, okay? who is in need of hiring a highly organized individual who is great with people. Now, 
We have a job candidate who just needs a job to pay his bills. When, first of all, in this scenario, the job candidate carries the burden of persuasion, right? Because they have the responsibility to persuade this employer into choosing them for the job. So when this job candidate submits a cover letter, what do you think should be the key things that go on the cover letter? Should they talk about how many degrees they have? Should they talk about how much of a good, um, how good they are with Word and Excel and all those things? While all of those things are nice and probably very important, this employer has revealed to everyone who's interested in the job what he or she is looking for, and that is a highly organized individual who is great with people. And what's the last quote I just told you? Appeal to interest, not intellect. Give me what I want and you can persuade me, period, the end. So your resume should list various examples of how you are one, highly organized and two, great with people. Your degrees are nice, but at the end of the day, if I find someone who's highly organized and great with people and they don't have a degree, guess who I'm hiring? The person who's exactly what I need, okay? So oftentimes we focus too much energy trying to talk ourselves up that we don't highlight what the person's needs are and try to make them realize how we're the perfect man or woman for the position, okay? Here's another scenario. This is the boss. And he has an employee who he feels wants a raise. He can, he, can, he can sense that this employee wants a raise. But he's worried because if he gives him a raise, this person will need to supervise. And he's not sure of, of this person's ability to supervise other people. The employee, however, definitely wants a raise because they want to support their lifestyle. They want to make more money. Now... The person who holds the burden of persuasion is obviously the employee, but the employee has a problem here because they don't even know what is hindering them from getting a raise. So first things first, I would suggest the employee to sit with the boss to inform them that they're interested in a raise and to ask if there's anything that may be hindering them, you know, from getting that or if there are ways that this employee could be more supportive. And at that point, the boss would then reveal to him or her they need a supervisor and they're not sure if that person is up for the challenge. And then at that point, the employee can say, oh, yes, I'm definitely up for the challenge and give examples of how they might be a good supervisor. So sometimes you just don't know what you don't know, right? And that's where revealing is so important. You have to get the information out of people to see and find out what's keeping them from doing what it is that you want them to do. Like if I walked up to one of you today and I said, give me $5, for some of you, your automatic response is going to be no. But if I walked up to you and I said, if I were to ask you for $5 right now, tell me everything that would keep you from giving it to me. You're just going to start spitting to me. You're going to tell me, well, I don't carry cash on me. And then I could say, well, I take debit cards. Like, and maybe you'll say, well, I don't know what you want the $5 for. And I'll tell you exactly what I need the $5 for. 
Or you might say, um, I don't have cash app. And then I can say to you, well, I take checks. And so if we could extract information from people before we even have to persuade, we'll be able to cancel every single obstacle that could possibly stand in the way from us getting our outcome. And when that person is left with no reason to say no, guess what they have to do? Say yes. Okay. Here are five ways to build your persuasive power at work or in your business or in your family. First of all, you need to say yes to relevant opportunities. I think one of the biggest downfalls that we have as millennials is we're so self-righteous that if anyone even asks us to do so much as lift up a pencil that's outside of our job description, we're going to want to raise or we're going to be appalled. Sometimes before a person gives you a promotion or a raise, they want to know that you can actually do the job. And so not to the point of being overwhelmed or being abused by your employer or by anyone else, but taking on a few extra responsibilities outside of your current job description to to sort of showcase your ability to handle more is a good thing, right? Because you don't know unless you try and Truthfully, your boss won't know unless they can see you do that. So say yes to relevant opportunities. When opportunities arise, seize them. Don't blink. Don't think about it. Just seize it. Okay? Speak at a conference or volunteer at an organization. Get involved. Make your name known. Contrary to popular belief, when a person knows that this job is not your end-all be-all, they respect you more. I know it's ridiculous and it makes no sense. You would think that people would respect those that are more loyal to them. But we live in a doggy dog world and people love people. People love when uh, those that they're connected to or those who work for them have connections, are well connected, are known in the community because when they feel like it's good publicity or attention for their company, it's in the, it's the same way like if you're negatively in the news or in the press or you post something on Facebook or something, your employer or anybody is ready to like cancel you or fire you in a hot second. On the opposite end, if you're in the news in a positive light, right? Or if you're someone who's constantly speaking or you're, you know, you're, you're, you're volunteering in your community, this looks good for their company as well. So you want to get involved. Like don't, don't let your work be your everything like you know have get a side hustle get another business you know build your skills in other areas like go to school take you know continue continually work on your craft like always have something more going for you than your one job and this also goes for people who have a business like don't put your eggs in one basket it's okay to be a serial entrepreneur it's okay to be trying a million things at once not to the point of of insanity where you're 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 becoming sort of a, a jack of all trades and a master of none but but just don't put all your eggs in one basket okay ask at least one question at every meeting you attend i'm going to tell you why this is important when you ask a meeting and don't ask a dumb question like if you genuinely have nothing nothing to say then just don't say anything at all but try to ask questions that are meaningful or contribute to the meeting or the um I don't know, or the presentation in a way that people notice you. That's the whole point. You're only asking a question and you're only talking so that if there's somebody important in the room who can either help you get to your next level, 
you want them to remember you, right? And so that's the best way to do it because that might be the only time you're in a room, I don't know, with the COO or maybe the only time you're in a room with a major donor who might be able to invest in your business or, you know, with a potential mentor or something. So constantly asking thoughtful and intelligent questions or even contributing some information to the conversation that makes it all the more um, um, enlightening and, you know, adding some sort of quality to to the discussion. And then finally, network internally beyond your immediate team. Again, um, making yourself known and making sure people understand the value that you bring is very important. So you want to have friends in high places and friends in lateral places, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be a person higher than you. It could be just people in general knowing who you are so that if ever your name comes up in a conversation or in a meeting, then you'll have people who are able to back you and vouch for you. All right. So um, you guys know I'm a human resources professional, so today's conversation is very um, formal, I would say. But I think this type of professional development is important. And so, again, um, the purpose of her redemption is to help you um, grow in all areas of your life. So not just spiritually, um, but professionally also. Okay. Um, I want to share this with you because I think it's funny. It says people often say that motivation doesn't last. Well, Neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. And I'm going to end on this, okay? When you know your why, persuasion becomes effortless. And to know your why, you must be motivated daily, okay? So whether you own a business whether you are in a career, whether you're in school, every day when you wake up, you need to motivate yourself and remind yourself why you're doing what you do. And let me tell you, no one has a better pitch. No one persuades better than an ambitious person who knows exactly what they want. Motivation is not something you can do when you feel like it once a month. Every single morning, you need to look yourself in the mirror and say, what do I want? It's what I do. I have sticky notes, affirmations on my mirror, and every day I look at myself and I manifest these things into existence. So when I get in a room and I'm persuading, it's effortless because I know exactly what it is that I need. So I encourage you to assess what your why is. What is your why? What is your purpose? Why do you want what you want? Why do you do what you do? And just ask God to ignite that passion in you every single day. Thank you so much for listening to the Her Redemption podcast tonight. I pray that it was a blessing to you. And I wish you all the best in your future endeavors. We'll chat soon again on the next episode.